0: Our passage this morning comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, "'Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit.' But Peter said to him, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans.
1: Well, good morning, Orlando Grace Church. I'm Ben Alderman. I'm the student ministry director here, and it's my joy to be with you and, and preach the word to you today. Um, before we dive into this passage, I want to give a quick update about uh, the Jung family and our missionary update for this week. Um, since they recorded this video and today, they were able to secure all that they need to officially travel into Singapore October 1. Uh, so we can praise God for that. They, asked to, uh, they also asked us to pass along two more prayer requests to you uh, today. So number one that they don't get COVID before they travel. That would completely put a hinge in their plans, and, and they don't need that. And then number two, uh, that when they arrive in Singapore during their mandatory quarantine time, that they would be able to have adjoining hotel rooms. As you can imagine, three kids, two adults, one Singaporean hotel room is an equation for stress. Uh, so as you think about them, please lift them up in prayer. Uh, they're a great family, and uh, they're doing great things. So Acts 8. When someone thinks of themselves as the greatest thing since sliced bread, the part for the course of life is that we usually really quickly learn that they're not actually the greatest thing since sliced bread. They're either humbled or nobody wants to associate with them and they are pushed to isolation. We all know stories of men and women, football teams, who thought that they were great, arrogant, cocky, only to quickly be humbled. Proverbs tells us that our pride will go before our fall. Makes me think of the story of Captain Edward John Smith of the Titanic. When the Titanic sank in April 1912, the general consensus was that this was the unsinkable ship. It was rumored that the captain himself was the one who said, even God couldn't sink this ship. So we know that when humans think of themselves as greater than other humans it doesn't work out well for the human most of the time but when humans think of themselves as greater than God we know that it'll never work out as humans we are are born slaves to sin and part of that means that we have an innate desire when we see glory to want it for ourselves The desire in our lives is traceable all the way back to Genesis when we see sin enter the world and our relationship with God be fractured because Adam and Eve thought that they were wiser than the God who had created them. It's not all that different than the man that we encounter today in Acts 8. Simon is someone who had power. He had platform and everyone around him thought that he was great and he was greedy about it. He wanted the most power that he could get for himself. Simon was ensnared and trapped in his own sin so deeply and so focused on his desire for personal greatness and the things that the world could give him that he ended up missing what the gospel is really all about. Simon misses fellowship with God. And because he misses that, he misses the inheritance that sons and daughters of, of God received through Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me say it clearly. Simon fundamentally misunderstands what is going on around him. And because of that, he desires the gifts more than the giver. We have a really easy outline this week if you're taking notes. We've got three points. Three things that Simon has a fundamental misunderstanding of. Number one, Simon misunderstands himself. Number two, Simon misunderstands Christ, and we'll see, because Simon misunderstands Christ, number three, he misunderstands glory. So, first, Simon misunderstands himself. Right off the bat, in Acts 8 and 9, we're introduced to this man, Simon, who thinks that he is great, and others around him are affirming him in that, right? Simon was a magician, and if I was a trendy student ministry director, I would try to do a magic trick for you, but... Just like Jim and his water balloons from last week, we're not trendy and it won't help our points. So I'm not going to do a magic trick. But so he's well known around Samaria, right? And he's traveling around and uh, we don't know like the kind of magic, what he was doing, what it was like. It could have been sleight of hand stuff like David Blaine levitating, disappearing, things like that. Or it also, more probably in my opinion, was some sort of demonic activity. What we do know is that he had special powers and an ability to do things that other people could not. Because Luke writes that all the people in town, from the least to the greatest, listened to Simon, paid attention to him. Simon had an inflated self-worth, and it's because people told him things like, this is the man who has the power of God that is called great well Simon probably didn't believe that right because that's, that's a really like lofty claim for any human to actually believe church history tells us that Simon went on and he was the leader of a sect of Gnosticism and one of the key things about Gnosticism is that there is a special secret or higher knowledge of the divine or of truth that one subject or only a few were able to achieve so We see that Simon really did believe that he had this special power, right? Because he goes on and he convinces other people of it. And he believed it enough to be able to convince people of it. Scripture says that people paid attention to him. He wasn't a loud-mouthed guy who no one listened to, but people really liked this guy. And paid good money for him to do the things that he did. It's like this guy is the most arrogant player on the court, right? He's Shaquille O'Neal jumping over somebody, breaking the backboard because he's really backing it up. Simon is really doing things that amaze people. So people take notice. The craziest thing to me is, is that he was only doing magic for people, right? This is, he didn't come bearing a message of real freedom at no cost to the hearer. Instead, he's performing magic people magic for people at the cost of the people listening and paying attention to him. So in verses 9 through 11, we're introduced to this character, Simon, who we see has a really damaged view of himself. And now in verses 12 through 20, we're going to see how Simon misunderstands the very person of Christ. So, the text loops back to Philip. Philip, who is in the Sumerian cities after fleeing persecution. And as he goes on his way, he's telling people about the gospel running from Saul. The issue is that this man is is a deacon, right? He's chosen to serve tables to the Hellenistic Greeks. Hellenistic Jews, I'm sorry. And, and he's not even supposed to be in these cities doing ministry, but he is. The church in Jerusalem has been scattered because of persecution at the hands of Saul. And now, because of God's great and incredible providence and sovereignty, Philip has come to Simon the Great's city. And he's preaching the news and the message of a man who deserves the entirety of people's praise and devotion. A message of relationship with God through praise and glorifying and belief in the Messiah. A message of lasting true joy, one that pulls demons out of people, who associates and heals the leper. One who who calls people to pick up their mat and walk. And these things aren't fleeting like the greatness that Simon had. And so people responded, and they believed, and they were baptized. Because that is how powerful the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is. When you have your eyes fixed on the things of the world, and then you gaze upon the glory and splendor and the beauty of our King Jesus, you recognize that the things you once held dear, the things you once thought had grandeur, the things you might think are magical, you realize they're nothing more than cheap tricks. Scripture tells us that even Simon believes and he was baptized, and he even continues on with Philip watching him preach. But it begs the question: what kind of belief does Simon have? Modern commentators all have opinion, all have opinions, and to be honest, they, they have severe implications on our theology. It's good to start at the end here, in my opinion, because the way that I see this text. And the way that I've seen what what the earliest accounts of church history write about Simon, it doesn't seem like he continues on believing in faith. Simon, Simon believed that Jesus is God. He must have to have been baptized by Philip. But the disconnect for Simon is that he doesn't understand that we no longer need a human mediator to go between us and God. We're going to explore this more later in in the, the rebuke that Peter gives, but he still believes that he needs the apostles to mediate for him. And in verse 13, we see Simon start traveling with Philip, right? And he's seeing all these signs and wonders that he was performing, and scripture says that Simon was amazed. Simon must have been seeing things that he had never seen, never been able to do himself, because the amazer, has become the amazed. So now, now we see that he misunderstands Christ, and so now he even misunderstands the signs and wonders that Philip is doing because he misunderstands Christ. So the thing about signs and wonders is they, they primarily serve as confirmation that what is being said about Jesus is true, that he is the Messiah, and that he fulfilled all that the Old Testament asked the Messiah, uh, said the Messiah would fulfill. Think back to Mark 16 after Christ has resurrected and ascended. Mark writes that the apostles went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. These signs, they're not for Philip to show how great he is. These signs exist to serve how great the Messiah is. So now we come across this part of the text where Simon sees the real power, and he really wants it. But before we get into it, we need to address a part of the passage that is very confusing at first. Confused me. Look at verses 14 through 16. You have converts, and they are baptized by water, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. So this is confusing, right? Because how can you even be a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit? So how can you be baptized in the water in the name of Jesus, but still need another baptism in the name of the apostles? It's interesting. So, like Jim has said repeatedly through our time in Acts, it's that chapter 1 verse 8, serve as a thesis statement for Luke's writing to Theophilus. And so these are Jesus's final words to the apostles at the ascension. And, And they are laying out the mission for how the gospel will go out. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what comes with the proclamation of Jesus in a new area to new people? Well, it's brought by an apostle, and there are signs and wonders to confirm it. So what happens in Acts 2 when Peter preaches that beautiful sermon out of the window? Thousands believe, and signs and wonders happen. So now we're seeing that the next part of Jesus' statement is being fulfilled. The gospel has been in Jerusalem, and now it is going to Judea and Samaria. But the gospel is coming on the feet of a man who's not an apostle. He wasn't even supposed to be in that particular city. And that's the beauty of the Lord's sovereignty. Again, that even though people are um, trained and equipped to be teachers, the Lord uses who he wants to bring his sons and daughters to himself. The Samaritans had to have had the spirits indwelling or they wouldn't have been able to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but what had happened is that the Spirit hadn't fallen on them in power like it did at Pentecost. So to confirm what was happening really was fulfilling that Jesus' gospel would go forth into Judea and Samaria, the power needs to be brought forth like it was at Pentecost through the apostles to the Samaritan church. So, so why did the apostles come? If they're already believing and being baptized, it's so that every time we it's because every time we see the gospel break into a new place as Jesus said it was, an apostle's there and signs and wonders confirm it. So here the signs are happening through Philip, right? But there's no apostle to confirm the signs. So the apostles come and they come from Jerusalem and they lay hands on the Samaritans. And most commentators believe that when Luke writes that then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, that that word received implies that the Pentecost gifts fell on the Samaritan church. So that's why the apostles came. It's confirmation that the way that things are happening and, uh, and why things are happening is coming from the Spirit and through the Spirit. Here's the implication of this, and this is so beautiful to me. Last week, Jim made the note that the Jews considered the Samaritans to be considered a sort of half-breed. Historically, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. That's part of the reason why stories like the Good Samaritan and Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John 4 are so powerful to us. An aspect of what's happening here is that the mother church in Jerusalem is sending apostles to confirm that these Samaritans have been adopted as full siblings into the family of God. No longer half-breeds, full siblings. There's no longer a Jerusalem church who worships in the temple and no longer a Samaritan church who worships on the mountain, but there is Christ's church. It's not about how great the apostles were and how cool their tricks were. It's showing that access to God is not determined by racial, cultural, or ethnic lines. What we have seen is that the apostles have a great power to give a great gift to the church. And it blesses the church and it unifies them. These signs and wonders, they show that what is happening to these people is coming from God. God. You can see that these are divine miracles, not just misdirection or magic tricks, because Simon couldn't do what these apostles were doing, but he wants to be able to. And so the pinnacle of Simon's misunderstanding of Christ comes when he tries to buy that power. He says, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Spirit. Simon doesn't even try to buy the Holy Spirit. But the man who has been told he is greater than all and who makes his entire salary off of being able to do things that other people can't, the man who finally, has finally met someone who is his match, wants to buy the power and have the same. So the pinnacle of the, Simon's misunderstanding is what the apostle's power was. He thought that they were acting as a mediator between God and man. He thought that to interface with God, he needed to go through them because, wow, look at these guys' power. Look at their tricks. Look at what they can do. He completely misses that Christ is the mediator between God and man. Simon wanted to be that mediator, like who he thought the apostles were. Simon sees a platform to expand his ability to amaze people. And he thinks that it's for sale. He wants to use that power for the wrong reasons, but what he doesn't understand is that power and platform are not for sale in the kingdom of God. So why do you follow God? Are you following because your parents want you to? Do you go to church, even profess faith so that maybe your children one day will as well? They'll make the right choice when nobody's watching and meet some good friends in Sunday school who you don't have to worry about? Is it better for your comfort of life to follow God? Do you, you leverage that to close out a business deal, meet some friends? Maybe you look up to Christian influencers and thought leaders and you want to be the one who's on the platform at that next conference that you really like to go to. Lay down the desire for how you think your life needs to go. Trust that God is God, that he is sovereign, and that the plan that he has for your life is so much greater than the desires that you have. And, and church, I'm not encouraging you to dream a bigger dream or live your best life now or claim a victory in Christ. What I'm encouraging you to do today is follow Jesus, because he is the king of kings. I think this is, when you, when you lay down your control and need for and desire for controlling every aspect of your life and you find yourself in a, in a time of need, church, you'll see how near the comforter is to you. You find how near Christ is to you. I think this is the very thing that Jesus told us uh, uh, when, when he told us to deny ourselves. I think that this is the very thing he meant. There's not a re- relationship with God. It, it doesn't mean that we ride his coattails to an eventual glorification where we finally reign with him. Relationship with God means that we know God and are known by him. We won't reign with Jesus because we bought it or deserved it or earned it, but because we're friends with him. What greater joy for fallen, fragile humans like us? The greatest joy in life is knowing God and being known by him, having someone who intercedes on behalf of us to the Father. Fellowship with God is what Simon misses. He doesn't know why Christ has come or inaugurated and brought his kingdom in. He misses that Christ not the apostles. That Christ is the one who reconciles sinners back to himself, graciously adopting us into his family. Simon was so easily swept away by the desire to have power. He wanted the platform that he thought he could get through coming to God. He thought that getting God was great, because he got great gifts. He missed that the greatest thing about God is that you get God. He was so focused on gifts that he misses the giver. Simon has really messed this one up, and he doesn't understand what having a relationship with God through Jesus is all about. And the first time that he has an opportunity to amass power for himself once again... He shows how wrongly ordered his loves are, how out of order his priorities are, but Simon still has a chance. Peter offers him a rebuke, and he leaves the door wide open to approach the throne of God and truly repent, but we see that Simon doesn't truly repent. What we do see is that Simon has a misunderstanding of glory. In these next verses, we see that Simon is more scared of losing the things that he has gained for himself on earth than he is of losing the grace of God. Peter's rebuke consists of three parts. He says, may you perish with your silver. Then he lays out how Simon's hurt is not right before God. And then there's a call to repentance where Peter explicitly says, pray to God. There's the worst part of it. Simon is so focused on the first thing that Peter says, right? May you perish along with your silver that he completely misses the rest of what comes out of Peter's mouth. He's more worried about the judgment than he is about being right before God. We see that the poison root that lives inside of Simon's heart is still spreading out. He's offered a chance to repent, and the apostles make it clear that the way to the throne of God is still wide open to him. But he doesn't. He misses the chance to repent. It makes me think of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he writes, commanding his, his followers, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. It's clear that Simon's heart is perishing with his silver. Simon misses so much. He doesn't understand how God gives gifts And he doesn't understand that having Jesus means that we don't need anybody else mediating between us and God except Christ. We don't need Moses anymore. We don't need a priest to go before us and speak on our behalf. Simon doesn't need Peter to pray for him. Simon needs to pray for Simon. The veil has been torn and you have access to God. No matter how broken you believe you are, you are never outside of the reach of Christ to draw you back to the Father. His work is finished and Christ is the one who has given us access to the Father. Simon needs to pray for himself. But he asks Peter to pray for him so that none of what Peter has said may come to pass on him. That is why he was so drawn to the power of the apostles, right? Because he he thinks that the apostles were the mediator between God and man. So he asks Peter to pray for him. He completely misses that those who are in Christ don't need the mediator. We don't need the priest. We don't need the apostle. Because Jesus has filled that gap for us. We just need Jesus. So what do we do with Simon? How do we respond today? Simon fundamentally misses the gospel. He is scared to enter into the presence of God. So if you have misunderstood the gospel and thought that it's more about the gifts that you're to receive as opposed to the beauty of fellowship with the giver, I want you to do business with that. Repent if you have wrongly misunderstood what all of this is about, repent. You can plead the blood of Jesus over your sins and in that, approach God boldly. God is always drawing sons and daughters home to him and you can come with him. Just repent. Find out what it looks like to follow Christ and follow Christ. If, if you want to be baptized, if you 're believing for the first time and you want to be baptized we 're doing baptisms. November seventh we would love for you to take part of that so we 've seen Simon and we have seen the wrong place that he was in in his misunderstanding of God himself and glory we 've seen the damage that a heart which still desires greatness does to somebody 's soul so Let me offer you the opposite. Somebody who had greatness, and he forsook it. Consider with me Philippians 2. Christ models this and calls his church to it. Starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I consider Simon and then read Philippians 2, I'm confronted with polar opposites Christ had the platform that was worthy of it all he was the one who was truly great but he humbled himself he put on flesh to seek and save sinners he was obedient to the point of death and therefore God highly exalts him and because of the fact that Christ has come down to us put on flesh was killed buried and resurrected on the third day we now have direct access to God the Father through Christ. When we plead the blood of Christ over our lives, we can come before God and ask boldly what we need. Not scared to confess our sins, but truly feeling like it is the only thing that we can do. Simon was scared to come before God and lose what he had gained on earth. But we don't have to be scared to approach God. If you don't believe me, consider the words of the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, He is the Father who gives good and perfect gifts. He is the Father who is eager for His children to come home. He is the one who is eternal and all knowing but still desires to be in relationship with human beings. We bring nothing to the table except the sin that makes us unlovable in the first place, but he still loves us. That is why we live not for us, but for Christ's glory. Trust that he is the one who knows all wrongs and he will make them right. Trust that he is the one who has paid the way for sinners like me and sinners like you to know God and be known by him. Church, trust that God is great. Pray with me. Father, we need you. We thank you for your word and the ability through your spirit to understand it, Lord, and apply it to our lives. God, I ask that you work on our hearts as we respond to your preached word. God, if we believe for the first time, I pray that we find someone who can help us understand what that looks like and walk through that for the first time, that we take the next steps that we need to to profess our faith in you, Lord. God, I ask that we leave here different changed, and encouraged. God, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.